Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Walk in the light means that we are walking in obedience. Is that clear enough for you? When we walk in obedience, that's when we walk in light. When we walk in disobedience, or we follow the flesh, that's when we're walking in darkness. When this happens, when we're walking in obedience, when we're walking in the light, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, we can then have fellowship, that koinonia with one another. Not only with one another, but also with Christ. In a dark and sinful world, you're called to reflect the light of Jesus. But if your life is filled with sin, John says you walk in darkness and the light of Jesus isn't in you. Pastor David will challenge you today to think about if you are choosing the pleasures of sin over obedience to God. Because by doing that, you're shutting out the light of the Holy Spirit. You cannot lose your salvation, but you can walk around as though you're dead. You'll miss out on the guidance, strength, joy, and power of the Holy Spirit. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 John chapter 1 as he continues his message, True Fellowship. fact is, is every time, every time you and I walk in sin, choosing the flesh over the spirit, we are effectively shutting off the light switch of his presence. Does that mean God leaves us? No. But the light of his glory, the fellowship of his presence isn't going to be present when I'm walking in sin. When you and I choose the flesh, we're not walking in the spirit. You cannot have both. That's why the apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter eight, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. You say, Pastor, does that mean that I lose my salvation? No, but what it does mean that we are walking as dead men. There's no life flowing from us because the spirit is not flowing from us. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is at enmity against God, is what Paul says, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. When I'm in the flesh, and okay, it happens every once in a while. I'm not gonna tell you how often or when, but it happens. I know I'm not doing the will of God, so I have to repent. I have to come back. I have to recognize, man, what I'm doing is I'm walking in the flesh here. I'm not, I'm not walking in the power of the spirit. I'm walking in the, either the logic of, and it doesn't have to be some crude, gross sin, 
It could just be the fact that, man, I'm going my own way, my own logic. I'm going in it by the power of the flesh rather than the power of the Spirit. And so I don't hear what the Spirit says. I don't understand what the Spirit's direction is because I'm in the flesh. Paul goes on, then we'll move from there. So then those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. Now, to help you to understand all this, I probably should have read this before I started talking a lot. To help you understand it, you kind of bear with me a little bit. I'm going to read from you from Pastor David's New Modern Transliteration, okay? Some of you may not have a copy of that. Uh, this is my transliteration of what Romans 8 is. As believers, for those who live according to the flesh, they have shut off the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, that wooing, that directing, and I believe sometimes even that covering and that protection. But those who live according to the Spirit, they continue to let the light and the power of the Holy Spirit prevail in their lives. We're walking in the Spirit, then the Spirit is going to direct us. If the Lord is whispering, this is the way, walk you in. If I'm walking in the Spirit, I hear that loud and clear. But if I'm walking in the flesh, no, the noise of the world, the noise of my flesh, far outweighs or outvolumes the Word of God, that, that soft, that gentle wooing of the Spirit. If the Lord can direct me with his eyes, as the Scripture says, and I don't have my eyes looking to the Lord, but I'm on everything else, then how do I get direction? out of my own logic, out of my own understanding. And I guarantee you, we'll stumble every time. For to be carnally minded is to be walking in darkness, and that walk leads to death. But to be spiritually minded is walking in the light, and that walk will bring you life and peace because the darkness is an enemy that's set against God because it resists the very light of God. So then, when we walk in darkness, we cannot please God. Now, don't hang me as a heretic for misquoting the Bible. Simply understand what I'm trying to say, that the concept of what John is writing here in 1 John goes right in line with what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. On a more positive note, back in 1 John, John goes on to say in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Oh, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, if that was the only verse that we had in reference to the cleansing of our sin, it would seem as though John is saying it's only when we are walking in obedience that we are cleansed from our sin. But beloved, you have to take it in the context of all of the word to understand the impact and the effect of that cleansing power of Christ in our lives is what I believe that he is speaking that effect that allows us to be open, allows us to be able to clearly hear and to understand that it's not having to go through the filth and the garbage of our lives or the world. When I'm walking in the light, not only do I have fellowship one with another here, but also we have fellowship with the Lord. And again, to walk in that light, it means that we are walking in obedience 
to the move and to the work of the Holy Spirit and to the plan and the precepts of God in his word. To walk in the light means that we are walking in obedience. Is that clear enough for you? When we walk in obedience, that's when we walk in light. When we walk in disobedience or we follow the flesh, that's when we're walking in darkness. When this happens, when we're walking in obedience, when we're walking in the light, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, we can then have fellowship, that koinonia with one another. Not only with one another, but also with Christ when we're walking that way. John uses that word fellowship or the Greek word koinonia, but John uses that word fellowship or koinonia four different times in just these opening verses. In verse three, he actually uses it twice. That which we've seen and we heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. Fellowship with us, koinonia with us. And our, truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That horizontal, that vertical relationship. Down in verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with him, that vertical relationship, and yet we're walking in darkness, we don't practice the truth. And then in verse seven, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship on the horizontal and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin that deals with the vertical relationship. We looked at the meaning of that word fellowship. We looked at koinonia. It's much more than just the Wednesday night sharing a meal together. It's just much more than just going down to the colonel and getting a bucket of chicken and sitting out and having a picnic together. It's much, much more than that. It truly is the idea of living life together, getting involved in our lives together so that we know each other's hurts. We know each other's victories. We can stand with each other. We can encourage each other. We can cry with each other. We can laugh with each other. Why? Because we have that kind of a relationship. Cornelia carries with it that understanding of community. Community was important to both the Greek and the Jew. Koinonia was the idea of sharing in or participation with. For the Greeks, koinonia was that supreme expression of friendship. Man, it's not just my friend, not just my buddy. No, we we have koinonia together. We're just joined together, a great relationship. And again, that whole idea that that common union of life. We call communion when we come to this table of the Lord. That's koinonia. It's the same word. And I've spoken often about when we come to that communion time, we are in common union with believers, not only here as we sit, but with believers all around the world. But not only koinonia. John places a very huge emphasis on brotherly love. And as we go through this book, we're going to see this emphasis stated over and over and over again. Now, we're not going to go into the depth of all of that now, but I do want you to follow along with me so that, again, as we get into this book, we have a good overview of where he's going. Look with me at some of John's references to our relationship as brothers and, yes, by inference, as sisters together, too. 
Look there in chapter two, beginning in verse nine. Look what he speaks about brothers, sisters, our love for one another. In chapter two, verse nine, he starts out, he who says he's in the light, walking in the light, and yet he hates his brother, he's still in the darkness until now. He who loves his brother actually abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother, is in darkness, and walks in darkness, and does not know where he's going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. That's a, quite the challenge right there. Look over in chapter 3, verse 10. He writes, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. In other words, you're going to find out who the children of God are, you're going to find out who the children of the devil are just like this. He says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So if he says you're not of God, guess who you are of? Jesus said it himself to the Pharisees, man, you're of your father, the devil. John says it here. Hey, children of the devil are manifest. He who does not love his brother. Uh, Still in chapter three, look down in verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But by this, we know love. Because Jesus laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Again, pretty strong challenge. Look over in chapter 4. In chapter 4, down in verse 20, here he goes again. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's mistaken. Is that what your version says? No, John kind of puts it straight out, doesn't he? He said, you're a liar. I love God, but I hate my brother. I'm a liar. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he really love God whom he's not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. That's a command of the Lord Jesus. We cannot get around that. Oh, yeah, but you don't know this guy. I mean, he irritates me to no end. Yeah, well, Jesus died for him too, just as much as he did for you, and you're probably not the great prize you think you are either. So then lastly, I believe of really great importance, look at uh, chapter 5. And down in verse uh, 16. This is important and it's a difficult part of our love for one another. Chapter 5, verse 16. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I don't say that you should pray about that. Now, I'm not going to get into all of the explanation or the depth of that verse other than at the very first of it. If you see your brother sinning a sin, 
He says you need to be praying for him, not cut him off. There's other passages that say, again, you which are mature, you know, if you see somebody struggling, you're to come and encourage that one, to lift that one up. Save him, though as by fire. We could easily ask the question in all of this that John writes, yeah, but, but who is my brother? Well, we could go back to Jesus' parable about the, the good Samaritan and say, well, everybody that you come along to is your brother, but that's not what John is saying. John, I believe, is writing in the context of what John is writing here. I believe that he is speaking primarily and directly about our brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are of the household of faith. And he wants to make sure that we who are of the household of faith show, demonstrate, and really truly have a love for one another. And again, that's not to disregard the need that we have to care for those around us, but it is with the understanding that our acts of love need to begin with the household of faith, with the body of believers. That's one of the very important things of being a part of a particular church body. I've known a lot of people through the years, and they just kind of wander around and says, well, you know, I I go here, I go there, I go there, and they're they're never really settled. They're never really committed anywhere. And again, if you're not committed someplace, then how can you really be used by God to the fullest capacity that God has equipped you and purposed you for? One of the other things we need to see, we need to get a hold of in this letter is also the number of times that John uses the word love. Love, loved, loves. Throughout the book of 1 John, he actually uses uh, that word love or a, a version love, loved, or loves a total of 45 times in 26 verses. Now, that's a whole lot of love. And when you start understanding what he's speaking about here, again, it comes our vertical relationship, our love with God, our horizontal relationship, our love with one another. And granted, as as we look at that, some of those are actually, he uses it in a negative way, uh, like, uh, you know, our love for the things of the world, that's in that you don't want to do that. But the majority of the usages of love really relates even to just one another even beyond our love for God, the majority relate to our love one for another. As a matter of fact, John uses that phrase, one another, six different times. And in all but one of those usage, uh, he specifically says, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. I forget how many that is. But anyway, six times John says it, love one another. One of those six times, he doesn't use love one another. He says, have fellowship with one another. And that fellowship actually comes because of our love for one another. In every case, John uses the form of the Greek word agape, A-G-A-P-E, agape. That's that self-sacrificial love, a pardoning love. In other words, man, you've done this to me, but I forgive you. That's the agape love, a love that is defined in the words of 1 Corinthians 13. A lot of weddings have 1 Corinthians 13. Why? Because they want the husband and the wife to understand. This is the kind of love you need to have for each other. But you know what? That's the kind of love I need to have for you. That's the kind of love you need to have for me. And what kind of love is that? Well, it's very easy. It's a love that suffers long. It's a love that's kind to one another. It's a love that doesn't envy. It doesn't parade itself around. It's not puffed up and it doesn't behave rudely. It's a kind of love that doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked and it doesn't think evil. 
It's the kind of love that doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things, and it endures all things. And lastly, Paul tells us, he says that agape love never fails. I give you that because in this whole relationship of fellowship, of koinonia together, it speaks, as John speaks here, that love for one another. And that's the kind of love that John is speaking of here. This is the love we are called to have one for another. This is when true koinonia or that true fellowship begins to happen just as John defines it. Uh, Verse seven clearly tells us, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have koinonia, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. As I shared earlier, we need to understand clearly that walking in the light, again, is that faithful walk of obedience, that surrender to the plans and to the purposes of God, being obedient to the move and to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And John tells us that if, and that is a big if. As a matter of fact, if you, uh, again, if you're writing your Bibles, circle that word if, because again, it depends upon how you're living. Depends upon the choices that you and I make. That's what that if is. John tells us that if, That is the case in our lives. Then, and only then, will we have that kind of koinonia, that kind of fellowship with one another that God has planned and purposed for us to have. But what does that look like in the practical world, in the real world? Let's let's face it, we live in a crazy time right now. People are, are busy, the young families, I mean, both husband and wife are working, the kids got ball games over here and this over here, and they got band over there, they got drama over there. And I'm just talking about my kids' lives, okay? But that that's life for a lot. And then some of you that are, maybe you're in your retired years, some of you I know are crazy busy, even being retired. You just got a lot of stuff going on. So how does it look? How do I put skin on that word koinonia and that concept of Christian fellowship? I was reminded earlier today of the time in uh, Todd and I's early married life. We experienced that kind of koinonia really in a, in a really powerful way. We were at a church where we were connected with uh, a group of other couples about our age. They had kids about our age. We were kind of, all of us were going through the same kind of situations in our lives together. We were all experiencing uh, some of the same victories, but we were also experiencing some of those same struggles. And I tell you what, sometimes it's the struggles that bind you together even stronger when you're there with that together. And I know that I'm exaggerating a little bit when I borrow from Charles Dickens' uh, beginning words from A Tale of Two Cities, but it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. But it was sweet times. It was good, but at the same time, it was hard because there were just situations that were going on in lives. It was good because we, as a couple, Tot and I, and many of these other couples together, we were growing spiritually together. And we could see it in our lives that God was doing this work in our lives. Truly that iron sharpening iron kind of a concept that was going on. 
Thanks for joining Pastor David today to study the letters of the Apostle John here on The Open Word. Though our program will come to an end today, your time in God's Word can continue uninterrupted. In fact, we encourage you to study today's passage on your own and ask the Holy Spirit to speak through what you read. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor David, you can find them at theopenword.com. We'd love to meet you too. If you're in the Casa Grande area, please join us Saturday, Sunday, or Wednesday for our weekly gatherings at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find service times and directions by clicking the church link at theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Thanks, Chris. You know, as this ministry continues to grow and reach further into the community with the message of the gospel, I know the enemy wants to stop it. I also know that prayer is a big part of holding him back. Would you take time to pray for us every time you tune in to The Open Word? Pray too for our listeners, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and those who may have yet to place their faith in Jesus. This last category especially need prayer. It could be that the next message you hear may be the first time they're learning about the hope that's only found in Jesus. Please pray that their hearts will be open and that they'd make a decision to follow Jesus forever. Thank you for praying and thank you for being a listener to The Open Word. Make us more.